Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Mom and Dad are Fighting is sponsored by Casper, an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. Casper mattresses come with free delivery and returns within a 100-day period. Right now, get $50 toward any mattress by visiting casper.com slash mom and dad and using the promo code mom and dad. And by Frank Einstein and the Brain Turbo, the third installment in the hilarious best-selling children's book series filled with inventions, science experiments, and baseball-playing robots by author John Sheska and mad scientist illustrator Brian Biggs. That's Frank Einstein and the Brain Turbo on sale now. And by Little Passports. Keep your kids busy this summer with Little Passports, the award-winning subscription for kids. Right now, Mom and Dad are Fighting listeners can save 40% on their first month today with promo code MOMANDDAD40. Learn more at littlepassports.com slash momanddad. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting. Slate's Parenting Podcast for Thursday, August 27th, the Back to School Edition. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm an editor at Slate, and I'm the dad of Lyra, who's 10, and Harper, who is now 8. Happy birthday, Harper. Your kids have I feel like your kids have birthdays every few months. Like they, there's some kind uh, of scam really happening happens. here. They, uh, have, they have two to three birthdays per year, Allison. I'm Allison Benedict, also an editor at Slate, and the mom of Harry, who's still six, Sam, who's still four, and Wally, who's still two. <laughs> Mm, you're doing it wrong. Birthdays. Hi, Allison. Hey, welcome back from Iceland. How was it? Thank you. It was so great, as I will reveal later on the show. On this week's episode, we will talk to Dr. Sion Bailak, who's a professor of psychology at the University of Chicago, about her new study on the roots of children's and parents' math anxiety. We'll also talk to elementary school teacher and author Matt Dix about his first day of school, which is still happening even as I say these words. And we'll answer a listener question about being the parent of the scholarship kid at a fancy private school with the help of Slate's history writer, Rebecca Onion, and her mom. For our plus segment, we're talking to Slate staffers about their hopes and fears for their kids' first day of school. Allison, when is the first day of school in the Dirty Jers? <laughs> Thursday, September 3rd. Thursday, September 3rd. Are you excited? What are you excited or afraid about? I am excited. I mean, I have fear because it's a new school. It's a new school system. It's everything's new, as you know. Uh, but recently I had the experience of putting Harry on the bus to camp and then realizing I forgot to tell him something and getting back on the bus and like sort of expecting in my mind, like preparing myself, I'm going to climb back on the bus and he's going to be sitting all by himself or some kid's going to be stealing his lunch. Instead, I got on the bus and he was totally just like laughing and playing with a bunch of kids. And one kid was like, Harry, hey. And I think that like that went a, like a long way toward me just realizing he's just a normal kid and he'll be fine. So right now I'm feeling I'm feeling good about it. That was great that the camp staged that moment. <laughs> it's amazing. Yes. Uh, my kids start school on Tuesday, September 8th, the day after Labor Day because of Virginia's King's Dominion Law, which is the best law in America. Is it? Um, it is. It's so great. Uh, it is the law that requires that all Virginia schools cannot start until after Labor Day so that local amusement parks have teenage employees through September. 
Uh, it's the best. I love it. But I am very excited about my kids' new school. Both Lyra and Harper are going to a brand new school, which was just built a block away from our house to deal with uh, overcrowding in local schools. It is big and beautiful. Should it be finished on time? It is not. It's not quite yet finished, but it's almost finished. Uh, and I'm really excited about it because a uh, they get to walk there by themselves because it's close. There's a crossing guard. They're going to collect up all the neighborhood kids as they walk down the hill to the corner, and then they're just all going to go to school together. That's very exciting. Uh, and also, there's a slide inside the school from the second floor to the first floor. That is crazy. What? It, it's really there. So for like years... Like- For years, all the kids in the schools that were feeding into the school would come home and tell their parents, oh, we heard there's a slide in the new school. It goes from the second floor to the first floor. And it became this, like, urban legend. I don't understand. I thought you said they're just building it. I don't understand. I thought they're just building the school. Right. They are. So, But for years, as they've been sharing ideas about the plans of the school to kids – the kids have been coming home and telling parents, oh, yeah, there's going to be a slide in the school. It's going to be so great. And we would just laugh at them and say, sure, yes, there's going to be candy falling from the sky, too. Uh, but then we looked at the plans and it turns out there's an actual slide in the school from the second floor to the, floor to the first floor that is a way for children to get from the second floor of the school to the first floor of the school. It seems like a liability nightmare, <laughs> but our kids are so excited about the first day of school simply because of the slide. So I'm excited, too. It's going to be great. That is bizarre. I'm excited, yep. too. I can't wait to find out what happens with this insane slide. It's, I assume that, like, the entire population of the school will end up somehow crammed into it in a Yeah, because no one's ever going to take camp. the stairs. No, not- why would you? <laughs> I wouldn't even take the stairs up. I'd go up the slide. Uh, all right. Everyone, listeners, so many of you have liked our Facebook page thanks to Allison's begging and pleading last episode. Thank you for doing that. If you haven't liked our Facebook page, please do. The more of you who like the page, the more people find out about the show. But more importantly, you can ask us questions. You can yell at Allison personally. She has to see it. And you can see all our recommendations right there on the page. The page is facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting. And notably, you can tell us to spread out our announcements, which we are doing this episode thanks to someone who asked us to do that on Facebook. Yeah. So we are trying that out and I bet it's going to be way better. Thank you. Listener. Triumphs and fails. Allison, what do you got? Okay, real quick before I get started, also (laughs) an announcement. No, just kidding. Uh, I just want to say that we got a lot of interesting mail last week about how you guys save for college or after the last episode. Uh, We're not going to read it this episode, uh, but we will at a future date. So thanks. Uh, Okay, my fail. So a few weeks ago, my wonderful mother-in-law took Harry for a week to stay at her farm. She had Harry's two older cousins also, um, and they call it Camp Momfna. Her grandma name is Momfna, which I think I've right. explained in another episode, so I won't go into it here. Anyway, anything goes at Camp Momfna. They can have milkshakes for breakfast. Harry called me at one point and was like, Momfna wanted me to have cold pizza for breakfast, but I don't really like cold pizza. <laughs> uh, they watch movies every night, PG-13 movies. He was really psyched about that. But uh, Momfna's strategy to get Harry to behave or just, I don't know, I guess just do whatever she wanted him to do was to pay him. So she paid him for everything. She paid him for good manners. She paid him for being quiet in the library. And he came home with $47. (laughs) Uh, He felt bad for Sam, so he gave Sam $1. Yeah. Uh, nothing for Wally. Nothing for no Wally. So I didn't really know what to do about this money. On the one hand, she gave it to him, so I felt like I couldn't really take it away. 
On the other hand, he really doesn't need $47 and also especially doesn't like deserve $47 for, I don't know, saying please and thank you. But I didn't do anything. I did nothing. And I basically let him use it. At one point, he and Sam wanted a new season of Ninjago on iTunes. And John and I told him that he could get it if he used his own money, which he did. Uh, And then last week, I picked him up from camp early for a doctor's appointment, and he was, like, so excited because he had won the week's Camper Excellence Award. Congratulations, Harry. Uh, And his plan was, like, after the doctor's appointment, let's go to Target, and I'm going to buy Ninjago Lego sets with my money, which I let him do. Thinking about it now is kind of a weird logic because, A, you don't really deserve a present for winning the Camper Excellence Award, but if you do, then I should buy that for you. But anyway, he bought it, and then like after he bought it, I made him give me $5 for charity. Uh, <laughs> so Parent tax. Yes. I sort of feel like I blew it, like that he came home with this money, and it was the perfect opportunity for me to sit down with him and do that whole like three-jar you know, spend, save, give away jar system that everyone says they do, but they don't really do. Uh, it was my... We do it. <laughs> okay, fine. It was my time to do that or to have a conversation with him about money. And instead, I just like kind of let it, let him piss it away. And then I grabbed $5 at the last minute for kids who don't have enough money for their own toys. So that I feel like is a fail. And then I can't tell if it was a failure or a triumph for not intervening when my mother-in-law, who I love and is wonderful and took him for a whole week, started passing out cash. You will be totally unsurprised to hear that I don't view this as a fail at all. I view this as like ben- benign neglect. <laughs> this, it is this like the money that she paid him is the real price you pay for getting her to take care of him for an entire week yeah. in a wonderful environment where he had so much fun. And he is going to forget about that money like in a matter of weeks. I don't know because Everything... my parents took him this week and he was like, how much are you going to pay me? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a problem. But like everything he bought is stuff that he's sharing with his brothers. Right. Everything he got is stuff that is like becoming part of the household. You took some of the money. I think that you're like overthinking it. I think that's like just another. It's exactly like the pizza or the milkshake or everything else. It's like a crazy shit that happens at Monfina's house and it doesn't happen in the real world. It's not the real world and it has no resemblance to the real world. So I wouldn't sweat it. All right. Um, I have a triumph this week. My triumph is, of course, our trip to Iceland. Uh, I'm I'm bringing it up not to brag about the trip to Iceland, though. I'm bragging. It was really great. But to thank the many, many, many mom and dad are fighting listeners who sent me amazing advice and tips that made this trip great. Uh, Specifically, listener Zoe Spring, uh, who has, in fact, written an entire travel guide to Iceland, wrote in. And thanks to her, we spent two nights in this uh, adorable little town called Vik on the south coast. Uh, listener Carolyn Schiff told us all about the amazing geothermally heated pools in every town, which are the perfect family activity on every single day that you are in Iceland if you're there with kids. Uh, listener Dennis Doty correctly warned us against water bo- waterfall overload, and we did not stop at every single waterfall we saw as a result of that advice, which was good advice. And uh, most importantly, I thought listener Megan Hickey recommended the Westman Islands, which which are a tiny little set of islands off the south coast of Iceland. I had never heard of them. I never would have heard of them. But instead, because of Megan Hickey, we stayed there for the best two days of our trip. So thank you to those four listeners and to all of the listeners who sent advice. And uh, the trip was great. It was totally amazing. We had so much fun. Uh, and now we're back and, and regret not being in Iceland. I'm glad that all of our listeners can relate to your triumph. Yes, yes. Thank you, (laughs) listeners. It was like you were there with me. 
All right, let's move on to a message from our sponsor, Casper. So you have probably, I'm sure, at some point in your life bought a mattress and you went to the mattress store and you laid down on it for like three minutes and you were like, I don't know, I guess it's a mattress. And then you spent $1,500 on that mattress. But Casper is a online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price that has this crazy deal where you can try their mattress risk-free for 100 days. So you order it, they send it with free delivery, and you have 100 days to try it out. And if you return it within that 100-day period, you get your money back. Casper mattresses are way cheaper than mattresses and mattress stores. Uh, 500 for a twin size, 750 for a full, 850 for a queen, 950 for a king. Uh, Casper understands that buying a mattress online could have you wondering how it's possible, but they want the experience to be one that you return to, and they understand the importance of actually really trying out a mattress that, in fact, you will spend a third of your life on. The mattresses are made in America. They're very affordable, and you, mom and dad or fighting listener, can get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting www.casper.com slash momanddad. And using our special promo code, mom and dad, that's casper.com slash mom and dad, promo code mom and dad. Give it a try. Get your 50 bucks off. And uh, if you don't like it, return it. Thanks, Casper. All right, let's move on. Hey, you listener, if you love Slate podcasts, why don't you consider joining Slate Plus? You get bonus segments on all our most popular podcasts, plus bonus podcast series like our History of Slavery Academy. Plus, you get to be the first person to buy tickets to events like our two, count them, two upcoming mom and dad live shows this fall. Details will be announced very soon. And if you're a Slate Plus member, you can buy tickets first. Try Slate Plus free for two weeks at slate.com slash fighting plus. All right, let's move on to our first segment. When you help your kid out with his homework, are you really helping or are you just making things worse? A new study in psychological science from the University of Chicago's Human Performance Lab has some extremely revealing discoveries about math anxiety and parents and kids. Dr. Sian Bylock of the University of Chicago is the author of How the Body Knows Its Mind and a co-author of this study, and she's joined us today to talk it through. Hi, Dr. Bylock. Hi. So let's start maybe by by defining our terms uh, for people who may sort of think they know what this means but don't exactly know. Can, can you define math anxiety for us? Math anxiety is really feelings of nervousness or tension when you are confronted with numbers or math. So it's not just being bad at math, or it is not being bad at math. It's definitely not just being bad at math. It's actually feeling nervous about or anxious about mathematical situations. And we know that math anxiety is not the same thing as just being poor at math. There's something about the anxiety itself that can actually disrupt our ability to think with numbers and mathematically reason on the fly. So what did your study, which just got published, show about how math anxious parents might affect their kids? We showed that when math-anxious parents help their kids with math homework, although they might be good-intentioned, their math anxiety actually can be transferred to the kids. And we also showed that when math-anxious parents help with homework, the kids who were helped by these parents actually learn less math across the school year than when the math-anxious parents didn't help with homework. So that's both terrifying and liberating, I assume, to some parents. (laughs) 
<laughs> liberating to me. I never help my kids with their homework. So I, I like this study. This Turns study out you've been me. doing it right yeah. all along, Allison. But surely that's not the solution. Surely just not helping your children is not the solution. Um, well, I don't know, Shirley. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, is it? I guess yeah. is that the solution? Well, we don't. We don't think it's the solution. I mean, <laughs> I think one thing we've identified here is that just having the idea or being instructed by a school that you need to get involved in your kid's homework, that's not always beneficial. And it's especially not beneficial if you are worried, nervous, anxious about the subject at hand and you're interacting with your kids a lot. So just knowing that is important. But what it also tells us is that we as parents need to be really careful about how we talk about particular subjects, how we um, portray knowledge about the subject and whether or not we're condoning for our kids that it's, oh, it's okay, I'm not a math person, oh, it's okay if you're not good at this. These sorts of things actually we're showing relate to what kids learn. It's not just that your child might adopt sort of your fear of math. It's that you are actually, through that fear, making them worse at math than they potentially might have been otherwise. Yeah, we showed that when highly math-anxious parents help their kids with math homework, the kids grow less in math knowledge across the school year. And when these kids grow less, their anxiety increases. So is this just about math? Or, I mean, I feel like I probably pass along a lot of my anxieties to my children. Could the same be said for other subjects? It's definitely possible that the same could be said for other subjects, but math seems to be somewhat special, especially in our society. It's socially acceptable to talk about not being good at math. You don't hear people really walking around bragging, educated people walking around bragging that they're not good at reading, but you hear very educated people saying, oh, I'm not a math person or numbers scare me. And so this social acceptability of the phenomenon coupled with parents interacting with their kids around it and possibly not having the best tools to help their kids, we think has a real uh, generational effect, essentially, of transferring this anxiety and the negative consequences from parent to kid. Did you see any gender dynamics in your results? I mean, there there's often been a problem with schools not treating boys and girls similarly in math and science classes. Do you see, did you see any kind of gender dynamic at play in the, your study? It's a really interesting question. Um, in this study, we had mostly mothers who were involved in math homework, and we showed um, that it, the mother's anxiety actually affected both the boys and the girls. But I will say that in previous work, we published a paper in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences in 2010, where we showed that there were gender dynamics with teachers who are math anxious helping their students. And one interesting thing about elementary school teachers in the U.S. is that they're overwhelmingly female. Over 90% of uh, early elementary school teachers are female. And it turns out that Elementary school teachers or elementary education majors have the highest level of math anxiety of any college major. Oh, man. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> that seems like a problem. Is, do you think math anxiety is linked to the way that math has changed in the way it's been taught between our generation and our kids' generation? It is really an interesting idea that math is being taught differently. And you could imagine if a parent was never comfortable with math or they were anxious about it growing up and now they have to try and help their kids with a new math. Just trying to do that explanation could be very anxiety provoking. Uh, I mean, I would go further to say I was great at math in school and I don't understand my fifth graders math homework. And so I feel like I 
have adult onset math anxiety or like adult onset math rage. Did you hear <laughs> from these parents that it wasn't just that that they were anxious about math is that they were specifically anxious about trying to do it right, trying to do it the way the school wants them to do it. I just feel a lot of pressure from teachers to do that. Yeah, I mean, I think there is there is pressure and you're in a performance situation. And this is what I study, performance anxiety and performance under pressure. And I think when you're trying to perform in front of your kids, when all eyes are on you, when um, you don't feel like you are able to effectively communicate the concept, that can be anxiety provoking. It can rob you of what brain power you do have and you can fail even further and it sort of creates a bad cycle. Do you have advice for parents on how to dispel your math anxiety? I mean, is it just do you just have to study even more than your kids do? Or have you guys been looking into ways that adults can help themselves on this front? Well, I have um, a, a book I wrote called Choke, where I talk a lot about techniques people can use to help reduce their performance anxiety. And I talk specifically about math. Um, and we're investigating right now lots of ways that we can, that parents might be able to productively help their kids. But I will say that just being aware that what you say really matters. If you walk around saying, oh, I'm not a math person, it's okay if you're not too, that really sends a message to your kids that some people are math people and some people aren't, and your kid might not be one of them, and so they don't have to try. So these these words, what we say really carries lots of effects. And even as parents, when we think our kids aren't listening to us, which probably happens some of the time, it turns out that our actions and, and how we portray successes and what's important really matters. I like that advice because I don't think it's that easy to actually decrease your math anxiety without like learning a lot, which is sometimes hard to do at this point in our lives. But if it's a lot about the way that it's presented, then that is something that parents can change. And of course, mastering subjects can, can be beneficial as well. When you have more confidence in your ability, you're often less anxious. But I think, you know, our words matter and, and simple messages we send can have big effects. So I, I, I'm sensing from your use of the first person plural that you do have children. Is that correct? Yes. Three of them. Is it pretty sweet being a scientist so you don't have math anxiety and you can just laugh at all the people who do have math anxiety? <laughs> I'm always trying to tell them what my research says and they say, yeah, yeah, we know. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks, Dr. Bylock. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Nice talking to you. Okay, so Dan, there was a New York Times story about this study, and at the bottom of it, they there was a quiz that you could take to determine how math anxious you are. Did you take it? I did. And? Uh, I got a 12. Um, I believe the minimum score is a 10. So I, I, it says I'm a little bit math anxious, but I don't actually really think I'm math anxious at all. A little bit math anxious was how it, how it stated. I got somewhat math anxious, which must be more math anxious than a yes. little bit. Yeah, I found that quiz interesting because all the things that are about, like, I mean, it makes sense. All the things that are about math in our regular lives now, like tips and splitting the check, that I'm not anxious about at all. But, yeah, math with fractions made me anxious. I don't know if anxious is the right word. Not good at it. I mean, that's why I was asking her, kind of pushing her on the definition because, yeah, I'm not, like, I'm no longer good at math. I used to be really, really good at math when I was younger, and I'm not anymore. So certainly I don't feel like I can, like, teach my kids how to do math. So are you stressed out about the math itself or about this notion that, oh, there's here's a thing I should be helping my kids with, but I can't? 
I'm actually not stressed out about it. I mean, oh, great. the questions in the New York Times thing are like set up, how would you feel if someone put a bunch of fractions in front of you? I would feel anxious. They're not. They weren't like, how would you feel if your kid needed help with fraction homework? Because I think that would be, I, I mean, it's, it's hard to tell because our, my kids are still really young. But right now, I feel like homework is about, homework for Harry is about, Maybe this is the wrong philosophy. Listeners can write in and tell me this, but it's kind of about teachers seeing where he's at. So, like, I don't help. I don't help him because I'm not home. <laughs> but also, I feel fine about that because I feel fine about him like making mistakes and having errors and having the teacher see like what he what concepts he understands and what he doesn't. How else are they supposed to know that? Yeah, I think that's generally right. And I would say that he, I mean, his homework at his age is is sort of even not even about that, but just about getting in the habit of doing things at home. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, mo- many of our teachers for our kids have told us for most of the assignments, we prefer that you do not help your children with their homework because it doesn't give us any kind of sense of how they're doing or where they're at if you do. Um, also, in the case of math, we now know that you might be permanently damaging their math abilities. Right. So, I mean, there are certain kinds of homework where helping makes sense, where there's big projects that require organization of the sort that your child might have a real difficulty with or that many children of your child's age might have a but real But then di- should they be assigned with. those projects? Like, I just don't understand why... Homework should be things that they should be expected to be able to pull off on their own, right? To some extent, yeah. Although I do think that it's also meant to stretch them a little. And sometimes stretching happens with a parent there giving a little bit of a push at the beginning to get them to start to learn the skills it takes to make that stretch. It's like a hard question. It's a hard question. Well, I guess it depends how much you do. If you do the whole project for the kid, it's definitely coddling. If you help encourage the kid with a couple of skills that will help them do the project for themselves, is it coddling? Maybe. I don't know. It doesn't feel like coddling because I'm still constantly yelling at them. So You know who we can ask about this? Our guest in our second segment. That's a great idea. But in the meantime, listeners, if you have stories about overcoming your own math anxiety somehow, for Allison's sake, any way other than actually learning math, uh, please let us know. Email us at slate.com or post them to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash fighting. Okay, let's move on to our second sponsor this week, which is the children's book Frank Einstein and the Brain Turbo. This is book three in the hilarious science-themed Frank Einstein children's book series from Amulet Books by the New York Times bestselling team of John Sheska and Brian Biggs. The series follows the adventures of kid inventor and scientist Frank Einstein, his best friend Watson, and his two robots, Clink and Clink. Combining science facts with adventure, humor, and robots, the chapter books encourage middle grade readers to question the ways things work and how they, too, can experiment with science. In book three, Frank's quest is to unlock the power behind the science of the human body to help his friend Jane Goodall, hmm, I've heard of her, be a better baseball pitcher. The book has tons of cool human body facts, like it's not possible to tickle yourself, and there are, how many bones, Dan, are there in an adult human being? 6,411. You need to read Frank Einstein and the Brain (laughs) Turbo. You're way over, way over, 206. Uh, It's great for fans of the Diary of the Wimpy Kid series who have no more Diary of a Wimpy Kid books left to read, so check out Frank Einstein and Brain Turbo. Okay, let's move on to our listener call. Remember, if you have a question you want us to answer on the air, give us a call and leave us a voice message at 424-255-7833. That number again, 
424-255-RUDE. Today, we have a call from Mary Claire in Chicago. Take it away, Mary Claire. I have a question about private school. My daughter is starting kindergarten at a private school where she's been for the last two years in nursery school. We are on the lower end of middle class due to my cancer diagnosis and just choices that we've made. I'm having a hard time since the majority of her classmates are very wealthy or constantly complain about the cost of tuition. We receive significant financial aid, which is totally fine. We love the school, but it's really difficult to make friends with other parents and just moving forward with playdates where everything is geared around nannies or people's uh, lengthy European vacations. I'd love to hear from any other parents who receive significant financial aid at private schools long-term just to know how do you cope? How do you deal with being the minority as far as class goes? That is a great question, Mary Claire, and we too wanted to hear from parents who have had that exact experience, so we invited one onto the show. So please welcome Ann Onion, who is the mom of Slate's history writer and the co-host of the Slate Academy on the History of Slavery, Rebecca Onion. Ann and Rebecca are both joining us. Hi, guys. Hello. Hello. So to start out, um, Rebecca, as background, you went to a private high school on scholarship. Is that correct? That is correct. A private high school in Massachusetts, a very fine school. Uh, and Anne, at the time that you sent Rebecca to that school, what was your sort of your family's general financial state? Um, I think the lower end of middle class, as the caller uh, stated, probably represented us very well at that point. My husband taught school, and I had also taken some time to go back to graduate school. So at the time, Rebecca was heading to high school. We had virtually, you know, no money to to consider tuitioning her to a private school, although we ended up contributing, you know, a minor amount each year. Now, because Rebecca's school is a boarding school, your interaction with the other parents and with the administration of the school was uh, was probably more limited than this caller's will be at her child's school. But still, in your dealings with other parents and other families and in your dealings with the school itself, and what pressure did you feel about class and as how you compared to the other parents? And did you get the impression that that pressure came externally or internally? I think that, um, first of all, absolutely it's true that compared to somebody who is taking a young child to a day school, you know, the situation would be uh, probably quite different. But honestly, I think more of the pressure came internally from my own self. And I, I felt as if over the years, uh, both there and then subsequently at, at college events where our kids also had substantial scholarship money, it probably was more from my own perspective of worrying about how I'd measure up or how somebody would think about something than any actual being looked down upon or different. What about you, Rebecca? I mean, of course, I was much younger than mom when this happened. <laughs> and I think I had a lot of class awakenings, especially during high school, where I thought to myself, wow. You know, my freshman year roommate flew home to Greenwich from Boston, like those kinds of things. I was never annoyed that we didn't have the money. I just 
constantly looked around myself and thought, I wish you guys realized how privileged you were (laughs) in some way. It sort of surfaced more when there were sort of like extra things to be done outside of school that you could or could not do and that required fees. So like, for example, when I wanted to play ice hockey, you had to pay an extra amount of money for the equipment. And that was something that, you know, had I gone to public high school, that might have surfaced, but it you know, in the school where I did go, it definitely surfaced because there was the opportunity to play ice hockey, but you had to pay. And so it was at moments like that where I sort of was like, just fundamentally frustrated. Do you guys have any advice for the caller in terms of trying to fit in or not? Don't try to fit in? <laughs> like, Well, I have a couple of thoughts. Um, one would be that it is important to ha- to keep the goal in mind. And as long as you feel, I think she said she felt happy with the school, as long as you feel that the school is really providing an education and an opportunity for your child, that sometimes to get more comfortable within yourself and not sort of let it get to you about some of the, the monetary differences, that would be one thing. And then the other thing would be just to know that sometimes things that you provide in your own family, for instance, talk about birthday parties, which would be something young kids would come up against. You know, perhaps your family isn't going to give the birthday party that takes everybody someplace that costs a lot of money, but there may be ways that you can provide um, a fun experience with, you know, far less outlay. Yeah, that really seems like a place where this would be thrown into stark relief when there are sort of outside of school plans that happen. And for little kids, it's play dates. And for teenagers or high schoolers, it's parties or vacations or things like that. Did you guys come up against situations where Rebecca got invited to things where you knew you could never reciprocate on that level? Yeah, yeah, that did happen. I mean, I yeah, I went to the Virgin Islands with a classmate's family and I went snowboarding with people. But I was, this actually sort of like brings me up against something that I wanted to bring up, which is that, you know, we were talking about this when we were talking about this segment and remembering that actually I did have friends come up to New Hampshire and stay in our house and hang out with our family. And it reminded me that I had, I had friends who weren't, who were also sort of like outliers in terms of the financial picture of kids at the school. Like one of my really good friends was a child of one of the faculty members. And so, you know, they didn't have a whole ton of money, you know, for her to come to my house felt very natural. And actually, with all my friends, it came to feel pretty natural. But yeah, but I just to say that there will probably be other people who are in your position also, (laughs) who could be allies, or your, you know, your kid might feel eventually more comfortable with their kids. I mean, it does seem like one of the lessons of this is that it doesn't have to be super weird if you don't make it super weird. It is always possible that there are going to be assholes at a school who who really do notice and who say something or do something about it. But in general, most people are pretty okay and won't necessarily make it weird if you don't. I would totally second that. And, uh, and that I think that given a group of parents, hopefully over time you can suss out or intuitively discover people who can be your allies or who are perfectly comfortable accepting you at your status at the moment. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, um, Anne and Rebecca. We really appreciate it. You know, this is a, it's a unique situation to this caller and your guy's situation was unique, but it has broad implications because, you know, class disparities are not only an issue at private schools. We go to a public school and it's a comparatively very privileged 
public school, but even there, there's the crazy amount of class consciousness going on between parents sometimes. And we've been happy to find out that it lessens as the years go on and you get to know people as humans and not just the rich people who live in that giant house on the corner and like that helps. All right, listeners, if you have had this experience as a kid or a parent, please post your advice for Mary Claire on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting. Uh, and if you're rich and other parents have less money than you, try not to make it weird. Thank you again, Rebecca and Anne. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, moving on. Hey, you know what? If you like the show, please tell someone. This week, I would like you to tell your mom or dad about mom and dad are fighting, if you're lucky enough to still have them in your lives. Mom, you can say, Dad, I listened to this great show about parents and kids, and it's made me think about our relationship, too. The best part about telling them about mom and dad are fighting will be explaining to them what a podcast is and then showing them how to download it and then being their tech support for months and months and months. I'm just kidding. The best part will be the conversations you'll share. All right, let's hear from another one of our sponsors, Little Passports. Keep your kids busy this summer with Little Passports, the award-winning subscription for kids. Pen pals Sam and Sophia will send your kids a monthly package in the mail, each highlighting a new global destination like Kenya or Spain, or as recently arrived in our house, Egypt. Follow the journey on the wall size world map and enjoy learning through letters, souvenirs, stickers, activities, and more. Mom and Dad are Fighting listeners can save 40% on their first month today with promo code MOMANDDAD40. That's M-O-M-A-N-D-D-A-D-4-0. Learn more at littlepassports.com slash mom and dad. And as always, Harper is still a loyal subscriber and loves it every time it shows up. Thanks, Little Passports. In all of the back-to-school mayhem, the school supply runs, the mad dash to the mail to find out what class your child is in, the first-day outfit prep, we often forget to think about another group of people sent into a tailspin by the start of the school year, the teachers. So today we have a real live teacher just done with his first day of school joining us to talk about back to school season. Matt Dix is an elementary school teacher in West Hartford, Connecticut, and a frequent guest on two other Slate podcasts, The Gist and our short run series, Ask a Teacher. Welcome to the show, Matt. Thanks so much. I'm happy to be here. So how is it being back at school? Um, I like to tell people that I love my job, but I hate to work. So um <laughs> I'm happy to be here, and if I had to do anything, this is what I would do. But, you know, leaving my kids today and leaving my wife after a summer was always hard. But the kids made it, you know, the kids made it better for me once I got here. So it wasn't too bad. So one thing I've always wondered, how much research do you do on the kids in your incoming class and, more importantly, their parents before the first day of school? I used to do a lot. And what I've done over the years, though, is I reduced it to almost nothing. So I like to know if families um, are together, whether there's a sort of divorce situation because I'm going to meet parents early on and I want to know if I can speak to them together or whether we're going to have separate meetings. But other than that, um, I've approached kids in terms of blank slates. I did it a few years ago. I met with a girl who was really having a hard time in fourth grade and I teach, teach fifth. And on the first day of school, I took her aside and I said, I know you did a lot of bad things in fourth grade that didn't make people happy. And I want you to know, I don't know about any of them and any of the specific. And you're starting this year with a fresh slate. And I didn't know it made a difference. It's one of those things teachers do, and you, you just don't know if it's going to go anywhere. But later on in the year, when, she, when I was dealing with someone else who was having a hard time, I called the girl over to my desk and I said, can you talk to this kid about how you turned your year around? Because he needs to turn his year around. And she said, on the first day of school, I remember you told me you didn't know anything about me. 
and you told me I could start over, so I decided to start over. So ever since then, I've sort of tried to not know about kids and just let them know that they're starting over with me fresh, and it's really worked well. That gives me a lot of hope that maybe I, as a parent, can also start over fresh with teachers at schools (laughs) who may otherwise have heard things about me from other teachers. Yeah, I try not to listen to that either, to be honest with you. Um, You know, you can't help but hear it sometimes in terms of parents, but I try to give everyone the benefit of the doubt and assume that we're starting with a new relationship and it's going to be good in the end. So what do you wish parents considered more at the start of the school year? Uh, I wish that parents, I, I tell them to call me by my first name and sometimes they can't get over that barrier, but I think the most powerful thing we can do for kids, teachers and parents, is to let them know that we are unified in every way whatsoever. So if the parent walks in and I call that parent by their first name and they call me by the first name, it sends a message to the kid that these two people are going to be working with me and if necessary, they're going to work against me until I do what I need to do right. And so I make offers to play golf with parents over the summer and to have them um, stop by and I give them my cell phone number and invite them to call at any hour. And I think if parents would let that barrier um, fall a little bit and be a little friendlier and a little closer to teachers early on in the year, I think it would make a big difference for kids. I also think that if parents were a little more careful about what they say around their kids, so I'll have students come in and they'll say like, you know, hi, Mr. Dix, it's nice to see you. My mom told me she doesn't like you very much, but she thinks I'll probably do okay in your class. And I, it's fine to say that, I just or to think it, but don't say it to your kid because all of those things do come back to me. And, you know, I'm able to sort of push them away because ha- I'm blessed with arrogance. But I know for a lot of people, <laughs> really, no, really, it does, I'm like, whatever, it doesn't bother me. I'll win her over in the end. But for a lot of teachers, it really hurts them to hear these things. So, you know, if you keep it quiet around your kid and you let, if you have, you know, questions about a teacher or even doubts, just don't let the kid hear it. And, um, you know, express them to the teacher in a direct way. I think that's the best way to handle it. That first uh, bit of advice about calling your teacher by your first name to create some sort of relationship from the get-go is really interesting because I always feel very strange addressing my kids' teachers by misses in the emails that I send. But, like, that's how they sign their emails. So I, I just gather, like, that's how they'd like to be referred to. And I don't want to be disrespectful, but I've always felt strange about that. You think just, like get over like if even if the teacher is going by mrs try the first name yeah i would say um you can i would invite the teacher to call you allison i'd say you can call me allison and i think that's gonna open up the door to the teacher you know on our side of things we also wonder how formal you want us to be and again i'm just i'm (laughs) i'm blessed with arrogance so i just take the position that i want and push people into that position but i know lots of teachers especially you know if you've only been teaching a few years you really are um, worried about relationships with parents and you want them to be perfect. And so you might be calling a parent, Mr. or Mrs., just because you think that that's what they want. So um, if you, you know, if a parent takes a step forward and says, you can just call me Allison, I suspect the teacher will then say, great, you can call me Beth and um, you can go from there. Why do they want the relationship with the teacher to meet the parent to be perfect? Because a fear of like how that goes back to the principal. The worst, Allison. No, parents I'm curious if it's about like a fear that the principal's the parent is going to go to the principal and say this teacher stinks or it's really just about like wanting to have a nice relationship. It doesn't really have to do with the principal. I I mean for most teachers the person that can ruin your year more than anyone is a parent because we're trained and skilled to deal with difficult kids. And so as difficult a kid as I may have 
it's always going to be something that I know how to manage, and I have um, resources here in the school that will help me manage it as well. So I can go to a school psychologist or a social worker or a behaviorist if I'm really struggling. But there's no expert in terms of parents, and there's no college classes that teach us how to deal with parents. It's a college class I keep trying to get people to let me teach. So, you know, a parent can really suck a lot of time out of you, and a parent can hurt you in a way that kids can't. Like, just by coming in and saying something to you about your teaching or the way you're handling a kid or how disappointed they are in you, that'll hurt more than a kid coming in and saying something terrible to you. Because, you know, you can brush off an 8- or a 10-year-old's comment. But if you have a, a father or a mother sitting across the table from you and they say, you know, my kid's been in your class for four months and it's been a complete waste of time and I'm nothing but disappointed in you, that's a hard thing for a lot of people to overcome. And um, they can make a lot of work for you, a parent who is not pleased. So we're, you know, I view parents as my customers and I need to make my customers happy and satisfied at all times. Matt, how long have you been a teacher? Uh, this is my 17th year teaching. How has the first day changed, or has it not changed at all? Is it exactly the same now as it was 17 years ago? Or are kids bringing different things to the first day now? Are they bringing phones that they didn't used to bring, or anxieties that they didn't used to bring, or is it different at all? That's a good question. I don't think the kids have changed very much. They certainly bring things that are different. I mean, you know, they, they bring in phones and laptops, but those are really just ancillary things that are easily managed. I think that kids bring with them a little less independence than they used to have. You know, there used to be, I'm going to drop you off on the corner and you go find your class, have a nice day. And now it's much more, um, I'm going to walk you to the door and I'm going to hug you and I'm going to give you three reminders before I send you into the classroom. And I think kids feel it. Kids like really feel it. We talk about it. I had kids last year for the first time telling me that they had helicopter parents. They were using that language. They would say, like, I can't do this, Mr. Dix, because I have a helicopter parent. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, come on. Kids are geniuses. They're so smart. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, they're really. And, you know, so now I'm able to talk to parents about it in conferences because I say, like, your daughter feels like you're hovering over her at all times. And she's 10 because I teach fifth grade. So, you know, it's the last year of elementary school. Maybe it's time to stop hovering. So, you know, I see the difference in the parents. And now I'm seeing sort of a reaction from kids. Um, negatively towards this behavior. So I think that's the difference I've noticed the most. Things like cell phones are just a pain in the butt, but you can deal with them in a much easier way than you can a, a kid who's suffering because, you know, she can't walk to the sidewalk by herself because her parent is worried. So this is not exactly about the first day, but our first segment this uh, in this episode, which was all back-to-school themed, was about this new study about math anxiety and about how parents put their math anxiety onto their children when helping them with their homework if they're math-anxious parents. Yeah. So Dan and I were curious what you think about how much should parents be helping with homework? Well, I mean, it's more of a, I think it's probably a, coming from a personal position rather than a district-wide or even scientifically-backed position, but I tell parents to get out of their kids' homework lives. You know, you shouldn't be checking your kids' homework. You shouldn't be engaged in your parents' homework or your children's homework in any way whatsoever. So I tell parents, I assign homework, and so I will hold your child accountable for the homework, and I will report to you if they're doing a lousy job. But in the end, it should be your child's homework. So unless they actually come to you and say, could you help me with this? You should just make sure that they have a quiet space where they're supposed to work, and you should provide them a certain amount of time in that quiet space. So you will sit there for 45 minutes in a quiet space, and we will maybe give you a snack and a drink, 
And what you accomplish in that time is up to you, and you have to face the music when you return to school the next day. The teacher will deal with you. I think parents have enough to worry about. I think that, you know, I'm a father, and I have so many things that I have to worry about with my kids. I really don't want homework to be one of them. I just want to make sure that she has the time and the space to do it. And then the homework goes to the teacher, and if it's done poorly or if it's not done at all, the teacher will take care of that for me. I know that's really hard for a lot of parents to accept. It gets to the point where sometimes if I assign a project to kids, like we build popsicle stick bridges here and we do science fairs, sometimes I get the parents, they're so concerned about the assignment that I have the parents build their own bridges and do their own science fair projects so they'll leave <laughs> their kid alone. So oftentimes it's a father who wants to, you know, really want to make sure that the, the bridge is done perfectly. So I say, build your own bridge. We'll test it just like everybody else. You can beat the class if it makes you feel good, but leave your kid's bridge alone. And so, you know, that is an odd solution that I sometimes take where I'll send home two assignments and just tell the parent to do one of them. Uh, if I, if a teacher ever has to say something like that to me, I will melt into a puddle of shame. Wow. <laughs> Well, it doesn't happen often, and it's always fathers who want to do yeah. it. So yeah. for somehow moms, I, I mean, women are just smarter than men in general. So um, I think they see the light before a man can see the light. Okay, Matt, thank you so much. I'm glad you had a good first day back. And uh, parents out there, we want to hear about what your first day back to school was like for you and for your kids. So email us at slate.com. All right. Thanks, guys. I appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt. Okay, let's move on to recommendations. Dan. All right. Uh, so the extremely weird comics publishing ecosystem right now means that, uh, like, if you're a world-class cartoonist, like a, a genius-level cartoonist, you often split your time making extremely complicated books for adults and then beautiful books for children, which means that right now there is this crazy surplus of comic books out in the world by, like, MacArthur-level geniuses for kids. So I have two of them to recommend that just came out. Uh, one is for brand new readers and one is for teens. Flop to the Top is by Eleanor Davis and her husband Drew Wang. It is the totally adorable tale of young attention hound Wanda who loves taking selfies and dreams of being a superstar. Uh, except for that there is also her actual hound, her dog, Wilbur, who does become a star thanks to a viral video. Uh, it is a very super sweet and funny book. Um, it's beautifully drawn by Eleanor and Drew, and six-year-olds will totally love it. It is published by Toon Books. And then also, uh, Craig Thompson, who I think maybe is the best living cartoonist on Earth currently, uh, has a book for teens. Uh, it's called Space Dumplins. It is a sci-fi adventure starring brave Violet Marlock, who goes off into the galaxy in search of her missing dad and meets a bunch of misfit friends, a rooster scientist, and a rescue crew of total hosers. It is really, really great. High schoolers will really like it, especially weird high schoolers. It is published by Scholastic Graphics. We'll have links to buy both these books on our show page and on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash fighting. How about you, Allison? Uh, well, first I want to go back to an old recommendation of yours, which is um, watching The Simpsons with your kids. Was that a recommendation or was that a triumph? That was, a, re I believe, a recommendation. Okay. I tried it and it didn't work. Maybe my uh, kids are still too little. Carrie was like a little into it. Sam, not at all. Um, but I even felt like Harry was just into it because it was television, but not because he understood any of the jokes. But really. Harry loves PG-13 movies. Allison, I know. At Momfina's house. Karate Kid, better than... The Simpsons. Wow. The Simpsons. Wow. I'm not going to so give up on it. But... So that's your fail, obviously. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and my real recommendation this week I gave last week when I was on the Culture Gab Fest. So I'm not going to really like 
go over the whole spiel again, but I'm just going to say quickly that everybody who cares about uh, our schools <laughs> should um, listen to the, this American Life episode from a couple of weeks ago called The Problem We All Live With. I've been sort of evangelizing for this episode, which is about school integration for weeks now, so I won't go into it again here, but please listen to it um, or listen to the Culture Gab Fest to hear my full-throated endorsement. But then the real recommendation this week is probably not going to be news to most of you since it has won like every children's book award and schools across the country have started incorporating it in to their curriculum, but I finally have a child old enough to read Wonder uh, by R.J. Palacio. Is that how you say mm-hmm. her name? Yep. Palacio. What are your feeling? What's your feeling about this book? I, sense- uh, I think it's great. Oh, you do? Okay. I thought yes, it was a little ex- like hesitant. No, no, no. I think it's extremely great. I love it. Lyra loves it. There's a new, they're just publishing the three sort of individual novellas that are supplemental books to it that's coming out later this month. That's also really great. So if you don't know, I mean, it's just, it's a great book. It's about a 10-year-old boy named Augie in Manhattan who, when we meet him, is just about to go to school for the first time. Um, Augie has severe facial deformities, and until that point, he's been homeschooled by his mother. And the book is about the process of him going to school, facing bullies and also kindness. And I'm actually only partway through the book. I'm reading it to Harry and Sam, but I know the perspectives change. It's part told from Augie's point of view and then also told from his classmates and sister's point of view. Um, and I knew about it a while ago. I bought it about a while ago because our former Slate colleague, Emily Bazelon, raved about it on Slate and because it was like on the bestseller list and everyone was talking about it. But we just finally picked it up last week because um, I needed a break from Diary of a Wimpy Kid. And yeah, the timing yeah. was really perfect because Harry's starting a new school and the book seems like sort of for him, six, almost seven, just the right mix of presenting real lessons and issues and feelings to confront, but then also like fart and tush jokes. It's really great. That's a great recommendation. Uh, If there is anyone out there who has not read it with their kids (laughs) of suitable age, please do it. It's really good. All right. Great recommendation. Thank you. Uh, And that's our show. Please drop us an email if you have suggestions for topics or people you think we ought to talk to at slate.com. Please check out our show page where you can see all the things we recommend and see links to all the things we discussed on the show today, including Dahlia Lithwick's article in which she's totally wrong about the King's Dominion Law in Virginia, the best law in America. That is at slate.com slash mom and dad. And please like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting. And once again, you can give us a call to ask us a question, 424-255-7833. Mom and Dad are Fighting is part of the Panoply Network. To see our full roster, go to itunes.com slash panoply. Thanks to our producer, Ann Hepperman. Thanks to our wondrous intern, Jesse Chasen Tabor. Thanks and a tearful farewell to Joel Meyer, the managing producer of Slate Podcast, who's departing us for sunny Chicago. We will miss him. We will miss you, Joel. We will really miss you, Joel. My favorite podcasting moment yet has been on our live show, which you were a part of. Thanks, Joel. Yes, he made that thing happen. And watching him work through all the problems we caused that whole day was wondrous to behold. Uh, thanks also to brand new New York resident who's moving to New York almost as if he's replacing Joel in our hearts, Andy Bowers, the chief content officer for Panoply. Thank you, Allison. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for listening. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. 
So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.